Welcome to the Dave Chang Show. I wish we were doing this under normal circumstances, but considering the coronavirus, COVID-19 epidemic that's currently engulfing the world, I thought it was appropriate that we talk about this and how it's affecting the restaurant industry. Uh, We'll get back to normal programming soon, but we wanted to have this podcast to talk about what's been happening. I'm currently holed up with my family, and you have Chris Ying in uh, California, and you have Isaac Lee in California as well, and we're doing this podcast by computer. I didn't even know that you could do these things, (laughs) Um, but um, here we are, and I think this is going to be the new norm, and I've tried to record this podcast by myself, honestly, probably 50 times this week, and it's been so difficult and emotional for me. I needed the help of some friends, so thanks for joining me, guys. Um, I don't know where to begin other than this is unequivocally the worst thing that's happened and could happen to the world at large, obviously. But as the economy has been ground to a standstill, I think the service industry slash hospitality world has borne the brunt of this. And I I have a hard time wrapping my head around just how bad things are going to be. I think this is going to be something that fundamentally alters the landscape of what restaurants are going to be when we look back on it. And I say that because I think that a uh, incredibly high rate of restaurants will never open up again. And I want to keep this podcast pretty focused about where we need to go instead of talking about anger at the federal government and the state and local officials. I find it to be somewhat problematic that A lot of my friends and peers in the industry are reaching out to me in a variety of ways to provide them some kind of advice or suggestions as to what they should do. And we'll get to that in a second. But I think first and foremost, I wanted to talk about what I think needs to happen on a federal level because, I mean, obviously, I think everyone's been following the news. Restaurants, I think nationally, have been shut down and reduced to only operating takeaway or delivery. And I think I read today that 18% of America, or they predict that 18 to 20% of Americans are going to be unemployed in the near future. And that's a shocking, shocking stat. And I've been in this business a while now, and I have great love for the people that work in it, my own employees and everyone else that's in this industry. And, uh, It's incredibly scary to know that the future is completely uncertain as to where everyone's going to go, how they're going to pay their bills, where they're going to be, where they're going to have medical benefits or not. So, um, and the one thing I I wanted to say, and I've talked to some of my friends about this is there's been a lot of self-punishment. It's like, fuck, I, I, why didn't I see this? I should have been better prepared. And I say this jokingly, but not as a joke. You can't be mad at yourself for not being ready for this. Not a joke. It's like if we had extraterrestrial aliens come to this world and the only thing they wanted to do was destroy all restaurants on this planet, (laughs) that's how we should imagine this, right? Oh, my God, aliens from out of space. But the only thing they wanted to kill were restaurants. They just (laughs) shot their laser beams and every restaurant on this planet disintegrated. You know, it would be a real different story. I don't think chefs would be like, God, 
I can't believe I didn't prepare for an aliens attack. <laughs> no, we would just be like, wow, this sucks. This totally sucks. Oh my God. Can you believe how much this sucks? Can you believe the luck we have? <laughs> Why do they hate restaurants? <laughs> yeah. And then it would be like, all right, let's rebuild. Let's do this. And that's the thing. It's the rebuild. The easy thing to do, the lowest hanging fruit is to lament and the woe is me. And there's time to feel that way. But for the restaurant owners out there, we don't have that luxury because the people that should feel that way are the hourly employees, the undocumented workers, the people that don't have health insurance, the people that are living paycheck to paycheck, which is most people. We need to be the best version of ourselves. We need to be hard on ourselves in ways that we could never be because we have to be tempered and not let this situation break us because people are depending on us. We have to keep on pushing. We have to keep on going. And I know it's not going to be easy, but you know what? A lot of people are depending on us. You sent out a tweet. It was basically a call for help to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez the other day. Um, in which you said restaurants are too small to fail. Yeah, which I think basically summarized what you're what you're saying about uh, the this industry and, and small business in general being the lifeblood of America. Can you can you talk a little bit about that and then what help looks like? Yeah, in fact, probably this is the best way to talk about this whole podcast is that tweet. I'm scared and I have a lot of anxiety as to what the future holds. But if we don't get help, you're going to see, I'd say, 90% plus, just throwing a number out there, restaurants never reopening ever again. And it's not about the restaurants opening. It's not that. It's the millions of people that work as hourly employees at these restaurants, documented and undocumented workers that need money to survive, to pay rent, to pay the bills, to eat. And especially now... To put someone out there without healthcare coverage in the time of COVID-19, to me, is just completely unacceptable. So, you know, a lot of these restaurants are able to provide these services. And with these restaurants not operational or functioning at all, it just doesn't work. So I was incredibly upset at the elected officials, both on a federal and state level, that didn't know what to do from closing restaurants for the coronavirus so it's just basically across the board, people said, oh, just be 50% occupancy. And to me, that's a death sentence. I mean, that's just a, a nice number they throw out there so people don't bother them. And I think that unequivocally, they said that so they could just buy some time. But some people even said to the media, don't go to restaurants at all. And you know what? They're right. Social distancing and flattening the curve for this epidemic is vital to get in control of the situation. But the reality is you don't say that without a safety net and you don't say that with any guidance and direction. And this whole time, I think restaurants, this is all we do is we deal with distress and non-ideal situations. But when we're presented the situation where you're really effectively given a moral dilemma, close and I may lose everything and people might suffer because they can't pay the bills, open and I might get my employees sick or other people sick. So this is really problematic. It's a trolley car problem. Uh, It's a moral dilemma. And I don't think anybody should actually have to make that decision, which was effectively like an academic thing you learn in 
college if you take like a moral philosophy class. And that's it. It should be stuck in a classroom. No one should ever actually have to live in that moment and make that kind of decisions. And restaurants around the world had to make that decision. And the fact that we had no support whatsoever from government officials was infuriating. Secondly to that was, oh my God, I don't know if anyone sees, because we, it's not like we get representation in the economy, quite frankly. You know, we're just fragmented. It's like a bunch of small independent restaurants and restaurant groups, and we're not franchisees, we're not Burger King, we're not McDonald's, we're not Carnival Cruise Lines and American Princess and all this other stuff. So we don't have means of communication. And I think it's pretty clear when Trump was talking about the service industry and they covered only airlines, cruise ships, and, and casinos. And we need more help. We need restaurants. And and I think the other day, Trump had restaurants at a White House meeting, and they didn't have any independent restaurant operators. They only had McDonald's, Domino's, Taco Bell, Chick-fil-A, the shit that Trump eats on a daily basis, which is why it's important. You eat different things because if he doesn't care about Mexico and immigrants, and he says casually racist things and not casually racist, just racist things about Chinese culture now. Why would he support a Chinese restaurant or a Mexican restaurant or an immigrant restaurant? He has no desire to. And that's really concerning to me. And all of these people, we don't have the the billions and billions of dollars of top line revenue of a bank, right? Which is why going back to your question, Chris, about 2008, too big to fail, and why I sent that tweet out to our governor, our mayor, our incompetent mayor, and AOC was a distress signal. It was literally putting something in a bottle, being like, help us, help us, because we're screwed. We're totally, utterly screwed. And no one, no one's given us any, any help. And once I saw that they weren't helping out for just the occupancy issue for coronavirus, I was like, oh, they're not going to help us out at all. And we're not getting any help from the federal level or from Trump. So we need to unify. We need solidarity. And we need to band together and get someone to say, we got your back. So I was, I think I called you, Yang, and I told you that, like, whether something comes out of it or not, the fact that she responded to that. I felt that it was the closest thing to ever having a distressed speak and answer. Yeah. And I was incredibly moved because I was like, someone heard us. She did hear you. And and I mean, look, Chang, I know you're not an economist or a, a political scientist, and I hate to put you in this position, but let's say that people are listening to your distress call. What what does help look like for the restaurant industry in the next six months, in the next year, in the next two years? What will help? Help looks like this. And this is just me. And please don't kill me because this is me, dummy, C-plus student trying to formulate a plan in my head. First and foremost, Andrew Yang's UBI, Universal Basic Income, has to happen ASAP. We need to get money into the hands of hospitality workers. $1,000 a month doesn't even cover rent. At least in New York City, it doesn't. But it gives them ability to buy food, to have some disposable income, so to give them some sense of security. We need that now. You know, the funny thing is when Andrew was pitching all this stuff, it sounded so crazy to me. And he was just prescient and ahead of his time because he saw exactly what it could do. And it doesn't answer the problems. It's just a blanket, man. We still need shelter, but it's going to keep you warm. 
for just enough. And that's all that I can ask for right now. I, it's not a permanent solution, but I think we're going to need UBI ASAP. You have a lot of people that work job to job, paycheck to paycheck, and they don't have insurance and all of these things. And Uber drivers and Lyft drivers, the entire gig economy, they're all tied into the same problem. So we need to give people money as soon as possible. I had an Uber driver the other day said, I'm afraid I can't pay my lease on my car. So UBI would be instrumental to him being able to still earn a living, whether people get in the car or not, that's a whole nother situation. So number one is Yang's UBI. The second thing that needs to happen is we need to figure out some kind of rent abatement program. And this is where I think it could piss people off because it's not necessarily rent abatement. I think that the government needs to come up with a federal agency and create one now to monitor all the real estate and landlords that have spaces where all of us restaurant operators have restaurants and figure out how to give amnesty or have the landlords not charge us for a considerable period of time to get restarted. This is how I've been thinking about it. If we create a loan program for restaurants, it's going to be as suffocating as student loan, the student loan crisis today, where you're giving people these low interest loans, but that's the problem is like, you're going to pay this thing back forever and ever, or maybe not at all. And I don't want us to create a new problem that we could have prevented. That's been keeping me up at night. I was like, oh my God, yes. I know a lot of people have been throwing out, we got to give restaurant loans. I don't know if that's the answer. I really don't. So the alternative is there is accountability and transparency and accounting on real estate. So as much as I don't want to help out real estate and landlords, I think that we're going to have to so they can give the restaurants a break. So that's one angle. So you have UBI for the employees. You have a loan that goes out to the landlords so they can give rent abatement. And then I think we're going to have to come up with some UBI program in a tiered system for restaurants itself. And it's not going to be a repay to the government. It's going to be here, we're going to give you rest this restaurant X amount of dollars and you're going to put it right back into the economy, right? Because when we all reopen up and we, we will, we're going to reopen. We all have to believe that. Somehow, some way, we have to believe that. When we reopen up, we're going to need money to do that. And it's got to be under the condition. It's not CapEx for you to build a, a new walk-in refrigerator. It's not like we got Hurricane Sandy and you lost your entire HVAC unit and you have to reinstall the floors, right? This is simply restocking, resupplying, and reloading your restaurant so you can go back out and open up. And that's going to cost money. Like in our own restaurants right now, so much mise en place has been given away to charity or to our own employees to eat. And there's nothing. All our walk-ins across the board are barren. And that's a scary thing. And it's going to take a considerable amount of money for different kinds of restaurants to reopen. And again, like I can imagine some restaurants that are like, you know, the top 100 grossing restaurants. They, let's just say a restaurant does $50 million in revenue. They might bring down 10%, 15% bottom line. Fine. But the problem is they still employ 150, 200 employees. So you got to take care of them. And if you're a giant steakhouse, for instance, right, and you lost all your dry aging meat, you know, it's like, how do you replenish that? 
and think about just dry aging. Like you have a whole supply chain that's now stuck. Meat that needs to be sold isn't being sold and things get so fucked. But if you're a steakhouse and you need to resupply, that's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. That money's got to come from somewhere. And the government's going to have to give that a hand. And I think that, you know, from the historical data of restaurants, and this is not perfect because you're going to have some restaurants that just opened up, right? And I know some of my friends that literally just opened up, right? That are going to have to like, they don't have historical data. We're going to need to have three buckets of restaurants or I don't know how many buckets where you're going to be able to give money back to these restaurants on their gross revenue, I think, so they can restock. So that's one. So UBI again for employees, loan program for the landlords, and then some kind of UBI for the restaurants themselves. And I also think that that money allows them to pay bills. So I think the last sort of angle on this is figuring out some kind of amnesty for accounts payable, which is basically the bills you have to pay, whether they're utilities or other purveyors and artisans. There's a chunk of money that has to go pay this, and you're just putting money back into the economy to get it lubricated for it to work again. Like it's this machine that's going to collect a lot of rust and dust, and we need to get this thing humming again. It's going to take some time. Now, if the government doesn't do this kind of stimulus, listen, I, I, this is just me coming up with something like this. And here's the problem. I don't know if anyone is, and I hope that someone much smarter is going to come up with something way more comprehensive than whatever stupid things I just said. But if we don't do this, and we don't do this now, the longer we wait, there's going to be longer lag time. Because let's just say all restaurants open up May 1st again. That's not that far away, right? And if we don't get this implemented now, like now, 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 like we should be giving money out to employees now. We should be figuring out the landlord situation, the rent abatement. We should be figuring out this cash injection to just put money back in to get restaurants started. If we don't have this like by end of next week, like I don't know how things reopen because you're going to need to figure out how to facilitate and organize. Think about all the restaurants that need to be reopened simultaneously. You know, I've opened restaurants and casinos in a new casino where everything opens up in the same day. Guess what? It's a nightmare of nightmares. Logistically, it's almost impossible. Now, how is the government going to coordinate that? Basically, all over the place. So we need some guidance. We need some structure. And it needs to be tiered and organized or it's going to be a giant clusterfuck. So I'm really nervous because the longer they wait, we're just going to be screwed. Chang, if the carrot here... If the incentive to, to provide aid is returning to some sort of normalcy, getting all of these businesses up and running again, lubricating that machine, I mean, what's the stick? What happens to food, to culture, to the country if we just let everything fail? Well, I think we're going to go back to the mid-90s. When no one cared about food, really, you had one or two restaurants and they were all the same. But the reality is, this is my nightmare, is that... <laughs> The restaurant chains and corporations that represented the restaurant industry at the White House will be the only ones that we have. And some of them I eat at. I'm not going to lie. I, I like my junk food sometimes. Sometimes, right? Seldomly. But not the only options. And that's what I'm afraid of. Because they have the budgets, they have the cash flow to survive this. And plus, if they get a cash injection, like, man, they're going to be sitting pretty. 
And everything else is going to go back to year one, which is to me like food pre-social media, food pre-globalization. We're going to go back to the mid-90s, like that era where literally people were like, can Italian food be good? You know, like that's how far back we got to go because there was no diversity. People didn't know different kinds of regions of pasta. But like while our food knowledge might be more like higher than ever before, but our actual business platforms and the businesses themselves will go back to that era when it didn't exist whatsoever. And I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's my fear is we're literally going to start from zero. In fact, I hate to sound like a downer, but the leadership from the administration gives me no conviction whatsoever that this is going to happen and they're going to rescue us. Because again, why would they care about an Ethiopian restaurant? Why would they care about a restaurant from some quote unquote shithole country from Trump? He doesn't give a shit about that. He just wants his cheeseburger. So no, I think that we're fucked. I mean, answer that question for me. Why would he care? Why should he care? And I think it has to do with what you said the other day. Like, this is not some little industry that exists in a bubble. Like, this is the backbone of the country. Why should he care? If he doesn't do this, there will be a revolution. And they're going to, I swear to God, I bet dollars to donuts that we're looking at a dystopian future if we don't take care of the people that need care the most. Simple as that. 20% of the American population unemployed for a long period of time. We're looking at Great Depression type of stuff. And he's the furthest thing from socialism. But effectively, if we went back to the Great Depression and an FDR, you know, that was a socialist state for the most part. I think that's what's going to have to happen. Huge government projects. We're going to need maybe some restaurants that are state-owned. You know, I don't fucking know, but it's going to be a whole new world. The reason why I say I'm worried is people are going to get hurt and people are going to be angry. And with a, the government's not looking out for me anyway, that's a powder keg. And it scares me. And Trump, if he cares about his own ass, he better, he better look out for the people that need help the most. What are you hearing from your peers in the industry? What, what kind of fears and questions and, and things are you, are you getting out of them? And what are you telling them? I've been telling them, let your voice be heard. Call the Capitol hotline, which the number is 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. We should probably put this in the text of the podcast too. Call your elected representative and senator and bother the shit out of them till they say, we need to take this seriously. This is the top. I, and I will tell you, I've had some private conversations with some people. And uh, I will tell you, I am really scared because their concerns are not necessarily the non-essential businesses of independent restaurants. Saving the casino industry, saving cruise lines, <laughs> the hotel industry, I mean, literally, I've had conversations with people that are decision makers, and that's their concern. They have no idea because we don't have a lobbyist group representing us, telling everyone. And there's, it's so frustrating, man. So I, I have a lot of fear, rightfully so, that the, the needs of the people that need help the most won't be answered. So 
Let it be heard. We need solidarity. We need, for the first time maybe ever, on a global level, but definitely in America, we need journalists, food writers of all kinds, recipe testers, back of the house, front of the house, diners. If you care about the livelihood of people and your own well-being as well, because if we lose that, we're going to literally, that's why it's too small to fail. If all of this collectively fails, it's going to be the same result if all the banks and AIG collapsed. It's just going to be so terrible. I, I, it, not to be hyperbolic, it'll be the worst thing of our lifetimes, I believe. And we can prevent that if they address it. So call your representatives, 202-224-3121. Let everyone know. Let everyone call. Because just because you care about it doesn't mean it's top of mind for everyone else. You know, the last thing I want to ask you about is uh, we do have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are in the industry and, and a lot of people adjacent to the industry. This this is a community of people who care about food. Uh, people might think of you as a pessimist, but you you are a kind of optimist. Give us the silver lining of this. Give us some, is there something hopeful you see in all of this, in this opportunity? Yeah. You know, I was talking to my parents you know, that's another thing you should do. Call your family, call your loved ones, make sure they're safe and sound and they're practicing social distancing. Um, and I said, I'm scared, guys. I was a mom and dad, I'm scared. 16 years of Momofuku, my life's work might go to zero. And, and there's a real chance that Momofuku may never open its doors again. And um, I was like, man, I'm scared. <laughs> And my mom said, this isn't that bad. <laughs> We've lived through war. We've been through way worse. <laughs> and I was like, huh. I'm at my friend's place right now and with my family and I'm cooking dinner. And I'm not worried about starting a fire. I'm not worried that my, you know, I had an uncle that died because they had a wrong surgery. And like all this crazy shit that happened in the Korean War. And I was like, Fuck. Everything could go to zero. Everything could collapse. But I have hope that you'll be able to rebuild. I have hope that in the event that the administration fails to protect the rights and God-given like rights of the hourly employees that make up the service industry, if he forgets them, I have to believe in the greater good of humanity and people, of private companies and citizens that will rally together and find solidarity to support the most important sector of American society. And I hope that we can show to the world and to the rest of America that you might forget us, but we're scrappy motherfuckers and we're going to figure out a way to make this all work out. And uh, we're going to make the most out of nothing. And we can get through this. I have to believe that we can get through this. I have to believe that if the government should fail us, we're going to find pockets of people and leadership that are going to help us get through this transition so we can figure out the next steps. And I think the next steps, again, like we need to take care of our hourly employees. We have to, not just my employees, everyone. Everyone has to be taken care of. I don't know who it is, but we're going to figure something out. And the event that we will rebuild, and we will, that's what I've been telling my friends. Stop 
focusing all of your efforts on mitigating the present. I know how hard it is, and you have to. It's an impossible task to figure that out. Please start spending some of your mental energy on the day you reopen and what that looks like. And if there is a positive to this, you know, the metaphor is like a flood or a fire that burns everything or washes everything down so you can start anew. And I've had a lot of pessimism to the food industry at large. And not just me, I think a lot of people have. And I think that it has been a bubble. And a lot of the food industry has been built on a faulty foundation, whether it's the French brigade system or how we take care of our employees or the environment or whatever. We're going to have an opportunity to start from scratch. And I mean, I don't think people understand like the, the tantalizing opportunity of what that means is that we can do this in a way that is on our terms, whether how we pay people, the kinds of foods we make. We don't even have to worry about the Mission Guide, New York Times Star, whatever. We can literally build community again. And it's going to have to happen over food because the crazy thing about COVID-19 is it's about isolation. Eventually, we're going to have a vaccine. Eventually, shit's going to get back to normal. And we're going to have to commune over food again. What does that look like? And how do we reverse engineer and literally wash away all the stupid shit that we had to deal with? And that, I don't know what that is. But man, it is a future that is unknown and exciting. And people are going to have to eat. Things don't change. People want to eat delicious things. And we can rebuild the future of the food industry in the image that we've always wanted it to be. So yeah, I'm fucking optimistic for that. So even in the worst case scenario, let's turn this fucking into lemonade. (laughs) This will be the last thing. I know you, I hear what you're saying, how hard it is for people to focus on the future rather than this present crisis and, and think about the rebuild. But speaking of making lemonade out of lemons, I mean, you have to have be somewhat heartened by how much resourcefulness and resilience and generosity is already being displayed by your, your colleagues and your, your own team in this moment. It's remarkable what people are trying to do in the face of this dire situation. It's not just my team. It's everyone's team. And uh, I criticize this business a lot. But man, from Eduardo Jordan and Tom Douglas out in Seattle and the rest of the restaurant owners out there and, you know, special shout out to Tom Douglas. Like if one fucking person, and I'm trying not to curse here, but if one person says he treated his employees poorly by closing the restaurants down and he's some rich guy because he has 12 restaurants, they don't know. That guy's the salt of the earth and he did the best thing he could do for his employees. And everyone is in this together. And Everyone that's in this business, it really is a special kind of person. We give constantly. We're always giving to charities. But guess what? This time, we're the charity case. And maybe we've always been the charity case. But it is this band of brothers and sisters. It is the tightest fraternity I could ever be part of. And I'm proud that this industry, for all of its faults, is full of love and empathy At its very best, that's what it is. And that's what you're seeing across the board. People making the hardest moral decisions they've ever had to make. And maybe the leadership of America and the government could learn about the leadership of chefs today. And I think the world would be a better place because no chef really makes the decision to better their own lives. It's always about the team first. And uh, 
I commend that first and foremost and my own team. I couldn't be prouder of Marguerite Mariscal as she's so bad ass and she's made, she's 30 years old and she's made some decisions that I've, I just think again, are very, very difficult, you know, Bhagavad Gita type of uh, level difficulty. And uh, she's been the glue holding everything together, including myself, Elizabeth Crystal, Sarah Asti, Ryan Healy, Leslie Ferrier, all the chefs, all the general managers. It's a lot of love for each other. And uh, what we're doing at Momofuku is no different than any other restaurant group. And um, uh, I'm proud. I'm proud of how we've handled this. I know it hasn't been perfect. And I know it's been difficult, but we're trying our best. And I know everyone is. Um, I think that's a great place to stop. All right, guys. I just want to thank Isaac Lee and uh, Chris Yang calling from California. I just want to reiterate this thing. Call 202-224-3121 and let them know that your voice, your community, your peer group should not be forgotten and you need representation. And uh, we need solidarity. We need town halls across the board, probably virtual town halls right now. And uh, that's it, guys. Hang in there. You're talking to one of the biggest pessimists, I think, ever. And I am optimistic. I am. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have my down moments and and tears. There's been a lot of that. But um, we need to be ready for that rebuild if we get there. When we get there. All right, guys. Thank you.